For don't you know you are beautiful to me, says the Lord. Don't you know what I've called you to be, says the Lord. I've called you perfect and complete in me, says the Lord. So that is what I want you to see, says the Lord. Jesus. So Lord, give us eyes to see the way you want us to see. We say that we believe, we believe, we believe. Come make your home in me. Come make your home in me. The Lord says, for that one who has been feeling so unworthy, so so like nothing, He loves you. He loves you. That's not how He sees you. He loves you, He loves you, He loves you. He sees you as whole, He sees you as complete. sees you as free of all sin and as his son so let it go to him let it go let it go let it go he is your healer your restorer Lord Jesus he is your joy Jesus. I am your Savior. I am your Deliverer. I am your peace. I am your joy. I am your access unto God. I am your redemption. I am your hope in this world. And I would like you to tell me, what is it about me that you don't like that causes you to not want to worship me? What have I done to offend you? I have made available to you the peace that passes all understanding. This is a peace that has nothing to do with your soul or originating from your soul. It is a peace that is supernatural that comes out of your born-again spirit. I have given to you access to joy unspeakable and full of glory. By my stripes, you were healed. Again, I ask you, what have I done that has disappointed you? What have I done that has misled you? What have I done that would cause you to not worship me? For there are those of you, even in this room, 
Your worship is far less than what it should be. There are some of you in this room, you've barely uttered a word of praise unto me. I'm not angry with you. But I'm saddened for you. You simply have not accepted what you have heard taught concerning fellowship with me through worship. And I want you to know that until you mortify your pride, until you cast down the imaginations that exalt themselves above me, until you bring your flesh under the authority of your spirit and begin worshiping me, you will never even come close to overcoming a lot of the inner turmoil that you have been experiencing in your life. I am your answer. But so many of you do not accept this. Some of you, you really don't believe it. You believe that if you eat a hamburger, it will taste good. You believe that if you eat a salad, it will taste good. If you eat a dessert, it will taste good. And so therefore, that's why you eat those things. You believe that if you watch a certain program on television, that it will give you some degree of pleasure or enjoyment. And so you watch that TV show or that movie. You listen to certain songs because you believe that those songs will be enjoyable to you. But yet, I offer you far more than any food, any song, any TV program or movie could give you. I offer far more than that. If you would worship me and get over yourself, you would begin to experience what you have been missing in your life. I am your answer. For some of you, seeking for direction and clarity and wondering what to do, if you would worship me, it would be easier for me to reveal unto you the direction you are to take. Some of you are wondering, how can I be a good parent? What do I do? You need to worship me more to get better understanding of parenting. Doesn't the Bible say that God is your Father? Yes, it does. Do you see Him as a failure as a Father? Or do you see Him as the perfect example of a father? This means 
that when it comes to parenting, God knows. Why will you not let Him give this to you? I am your access to the throne of grace, and you have been invited. Welcome. The door is open. Again, I ask you, how have I hurt your feelings? How have I let you down? What have I done that has caused you to not want to worship me? I again encourage you. Trust by faith all of the wonderful things you have heard about praise and worship. Take a step of faith and begin to do this. And it will initiate a process of renewal, revival, cleansing, restructuring, and growth in me. If you do this, you'll get answers. You will experience change. But until then, you should not expect everything you're hoping for. Because for some reason, you are refusing, by your choice, not to worship me. Your emotions must be brought into submission to you. I will not do it for you. If you will do these things, you will know me like you have never known me. I am willing to fellowship with you And I am willing to reveal myself unto you in greater measure, more than ever before. But you absolutely must take control of yourself and begin worshiping me. I am your answer, says the Lord. Would you please turn to Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs chapter 12. Give you a moment to get there. Proverbs 12. Are you there? People are still turning. That's good. I'd rather you be turning than just staring off. Into the wild blue yonder. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. The... (laughs) My tendency is to bring out a lot relative to that verse. Uh, 
But I'm going to let it stand on its own for the moment. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. That word way is not simply speaking about, you know, the direction. But it's, it's uh, you know, how you live, what you believe, so on and so forth. All right, now, turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. One of the greatest moments in all of history took place about roughly 500 years ago. And that's when the King James Version of the Bible was given to humanity. Now, the, that, that version really has been the standard for the body of Christ. Well, I mean, really, it's you know, the world, but has been the standard for the body of Christ ever since. Now, it has gone through some revisions. Now, here's what I mean. Uh, I'll give you one example. The spelling of certain words has changed. In other words, if you were to go back and find one of the, and you can, you can find it online, the word son as in, well, this is my son. Today we spell it S-O-N. But back then it was spelled S-O-N-N-E. You know? And so a lot of the words, the spelling has changed, but it's the same word. You understand what I'm saying? So that way, um, you know, we just don't spell some words the same way that we used to. Uh, so anyway, anyway, the King James version of the Bible is roughly 500 years old. Now we have, uh, you know, a lot of other versions. That <laughs> it's interesting. A lot of the versions that we have now, and I mean, oh, there's so many. They they say they don't come from the King James, but they do come from the King James. What I mean is this. They look at the King James, and then they say, all right, well, let's, let's go back to the Hebrew and the Greek, and let's find out if there's something better. And some of the versions uh, that have come out, I hope they never enter this building. They are pathetic. Oh, granted, you know, if you find something in the version that says, Jesus is Lord, it's like, well, that's not pathetic. Well, no, but there's a bunch of other stuff in there. Some of it, it's, I don't know how they came up with it. And what I, what I find shocking is how many Christians jump on the bandwagon of all these different versions. When one comes out, oh, have you seen this version? Oh, this version is so good. And I look at it, and no, it's not. I've actually thrown out versions, thrown things out. Because, <clears throat> to me, it's borderline blasphemy. So you can use whatever version you want. You know where I stand on this. And don't even try to argue with me about it. Here, watching, or whatever. The King James Version, based on all my research, say what you want. I'm telling you, the King James Version is the best English translation. The only way you're going to get better is to become an absolute expert in the Greek and the Hebrew. That's it. Now, I can't read Greek and I can't read Hebrew, but I do know how to research words. 
and phrases. It's not that difficult. There's a lot of free material out there that help you as well. What I'm getting at, though, is this. The King James Version of the Bible, even if you had no idea there were other versions, the King James Version has been around for about 500 years. So it's, it's been here, right? I mean, this. Nevertheless, let's take a look at some of the things that are in the King James Version. Or it, what we're getting ready to read may be in other versions as well. The wording may be the same. I don't know. But let's take a look at what is in the Bible. God's Word. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, Now therefore... You are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Chapter 4, verse 11. And he, speaking of Jesus, gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ. All right, we'll stop right there. Now, what we've just read in Ephesians chapter 2 and in Ephesians chapter 4 is a part of what has, or what was written approximately 2,000 years ago. I'm talking about the New Testament. Now, the Old Testament, obviously, we're going, you know, thousands of years before this. So then here's what we have. We have material that came from God and was revealed unto people who were like his stenographers or his, uh, you know, they, they took dictation from him. You, know, you get the image here. And they wrote these things down. Granted, they wrote it, you know, in, in their language and it's been translated to English, but it's been around for 2,000 years. Now, what that means is if you could read the original languages, then you could have been reading this for 2,000 years. But that these 2,000-year-old documents were used to create the King James Version of the Bible, which has been with us now for roughly 500 years. All right, now, let's look in First Peter. 1 Peter, chapter 2. Now, as we go through all of these, you know that uh, we're not going through the entire passages. We're just hitting specific verses for the sake of this teaching. In 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 2. As newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Well, we just saw over there in Ephesians that, uh, you know, we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and they're built on the cornerstone, you know, of Jesus. 
And here we see that we're supposed to desire the sincere milk of the Word so that we can grow thereby. Well, in Second Peter chapter 1, And in 2 Peter chapter 1, let's just pick it up here in uh, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things, that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, I'm not going to be commenting a whole lot on these as we go, but you'll notice he says in verse 3, that His divine power has given unto us, well, who is the us? Well, those who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Believers, Christians. His divine power has given unto us all things. He's made available to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. What life? The spiritual life. Well, right along with that, you know, He provides for us as far as the natural things in life too, but unto life and godliness. Okay, everything that we need. How can you disagree with that? I mean, he has, he says right here, he's given unto us, so he's made it available to us. However, look at this, it says, given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. So guess what? No knowledge, no understanding of what has been given to you. See that? This is not complicated, guys. And in the next verse, he says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Now, where do you think those promises are contained? I'm not trying to trip you up here. They're given to us. Where do you think we can find those promises? In the Word. That by these ye might be partakers, not recipients, but partakers of the divine nature. What is the divine nature? Well, that's the life of God. What is a partaker? Someone who partakes of that which has been given. Do you understand that? So you can be born again, but not partaking of all things that have been given to us pertaining to life and godliness. See that? So you can be born again, but not a partaker of the fullness of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you, now look at this, if these things be in you, not available to you, but in you. They can't be in you if they're not available. You follow this? So if these, let me say it like this, for if these things that are available to you be 
in you and abound. The image there is superseding everything else in your life. They make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things, who's the he that lacketh? A Christian. You say, well, how do you know? Well, look. He that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. So there we see he's talking about a Christian, somebody who can lack or not have these things. Wherefore, verse 10, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. See that? You shall never fall. In other words, if you want eternal security, here's how. Right here. This is it. Being born again, listen, being born again, I've taught on this so many times, being born again is not the guarantee of eternal security. I've taught on this, I've shown you in Scripture. But he's saying, if you follow this process that I'm revealing to you right here, then you know what? You shall never fall. Do you understand the falling that he's talking about? All right, think of it like this. Let's say that you're on a 50-story building at the very top, and then someone comes along and boop, pushes you over. So you begin to fall. Do you realize you have to fall all 50 stories before, pow, you hit the ground? you understand that? So in other words, the falling is a procedure or a process. You fall from the 50th, 49, 48, 47, 46. <laughs> in other words, you're falling floor by floor. This whole thing of falling, missing out with God... It doesn't happen in the blink of an eye. It is a process. And he, he says, if you'll do these things, what I'm outlining for you right here, right now, if you'll do them, then the process of falling won't even be initiated, let alone, boom, you hitting the bottom. But, Verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Where are these promises? They're in the Word. They're contained in the Word. Okay, you take somebody who's brand new born again, and you ask them. Somebody walks in here, and uh, they, they get born again. I need Jesus. Okay, well, here's how you get saved. And as soon as they, yeah, Jesus, come into my heart, you know, whatever we lead them to say. The person says that, and the instant after that, are they born again? Well, yeah. So then the instant after that, we say, okay, now what are God's exceeding promises to you? What are they going to say? I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. So what do we do? Now think, what would we do to help that person understand what are God's Exceeding great promises. Give him a Bible, right? We would give him a Bible. So what are we doing at that point? We're pointing him to where he can find the exceeding great, incredible, amazing promises, so on and so forth. Now turn 
to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now just think to yourself, before we read what we're going to read, think to yourself, how much of what I've shared with you has come from anything other than the Bible at this, at this point so far? Nothing. Nothing. Now here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Alright, well what is the word of truth? My sermons? Or the Bible? The Bible. Now my sermons kind of are like in a subcategory if my sermons are founded on the Bible. But, he says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that need not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, now, at this point, everything that I have shared with you, starting with, uh, you know, Proverbs 12, 15, that's what we opened with. Then we went to Ephesians 2, then Ephesians 4, then 1 Peter 2, and, and uh, uh, 2 Peter 1. Okay, everything that I've shared with you to this point, you would already have known it. Clearly, if you had done verse 15. I would not have had to explain this. But as I stood here explaining it, I could tell that some of you were looking at this and thinking, oh, let me put it in these words. I never saw that before. Not that you hadn't read it, but you'd never seen it. You know what I mean. Not that you hadn't been reading it ever, you just hadn't seen it. And yet it says right here, study to show yourself approved a work unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So if you had done that, had been doing that, you would have known what I just got through sharing over the last few minutes. But now look in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given. By inspiration of God, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God, that the believer, the Christian, may be perfect, fully mature spiritually, thoroughly finished, thoroughly furnished, or fully spiritually equipped unto all good works, unto the fulfillment of everything that God wants you to do in this life. Everything including living the holy lifestyle. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So in verse chapter 2, verse 15, where he says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, and you know, rightly dividing the word of truth. What is the word of truth? All Scripture. And then he says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. There's your source. And that it is profitable. For doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. Okay, you know what that is saying? If there weren't a need for establishing doctrine, you would not need all Scripture. You get that? In other words, if God looked at us and said, Alright, you're born again, um, you don't need any more. Well, that's not what happened. It says here, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine, but he also says, profitable for reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So what that tells us is, there must be something 
that needs to be reproved. And there must be something that needs to be corrected. And there must be a need for instruction in righteousness. Why else would you put that in there? If nothing needs to be corrected, if nothing needs to be reproved, why say this? And then he goes on to clarify. It says, the reason for this, verse 16, all scripture and what it will do, is so that you, the child of God, the person washed in the blood of Jesus, born again, renewed unto spiritual life, so that you, the believer, may go from where you are right now in your level of spiritual maturity unto the place of being fully spiritually mature. In other words, grown up and equipped spiritually to do everything God says you should do. So then, if I want to be verse 17, I have to do chapter 2, verse 15 with chapter 3, verse 16. You understand that? Now look in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. And look here in verse 21. Wherefore, lay apart, set aside, get rid of all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That is one of my favorite phrases in the Bible. Superfluity. That sounds so prim and proper. Oh, he's so full of superfluity of naughtiness. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> wherefore, lay aside I mean, it's almost like a contradiction. You go from filthiness to superfluity of naughtiness. <laughs> all right, move along here. Lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness and receive with meekness, humility, submission to the authority and source the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Now, this is written to Christians. Why does my soul need to be saved? I'm already born again. But he's not talking about your spirit. He's talking about your life. Now look at this. Lay apart, you know, the, 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 the stuff of the world. Notice it says, receive with meekness the engrafted word. Now what does that mean, the engrafted word? I, to try to create an image. You know, the word, uh, Jesus, he compared the word to a seed. And sometimes what you can do is you can take, uh, well, in fact, we had a tree that was like this. It was like two different trees, and one had been grafted into the other. And so in the spring when it bloomed, we had these white blooms and we had these pink blooms. It was weird. That wasn't normal. <laughs> well, the one, the pink part had been like grafted in some way, somehow. But that pink part had not been a part of the original tree. It had to be brought in somehow and engrafted into the original tree. So when he says, receive with meekness the engrafted word. When we're born again, we do not have the Bible in us. I mean, you should, you should know that. And so he's saying, receive the word. Let me kind of paraphrase this. Receive the word 
all Scripture, receive it engrafted into your spiritual being. Why do you think God said over there in in, uh, Ephesians 4, Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. You know, for the teaching. So that we all come into the unity of what we believe and so forth. Receive the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So if I receive the engrafted word, then what that means is the engrafted word, think in terms of a tree, it, it begins growing. It begins developing. And the stuff that's in my soul, which is contradictory to the word, it begins to be overpowered. Kind of like what Jesus said. If you had faith like the grain of mustard seed, you know, you, you plant it. And even though it's the smallest, eventually it grows and it becomes larger than everything else in your garden. Even the birds begin to take nest in it. Well, receive the engrafted word so that it overshadows, overpowers everything, you know, drives out. The stuff that's in your soul that contradicts the things of God. Receive the engrafted word. Now look in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Take a look at verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who, coming thither, went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So here comes the Apostle Paul and those traveling with him, and they're preaching and their teaching. Well, these particular Jews, they're hearing this, and even though they don't fully understand it, it says they received it, the word that was being taught, with all readiness of mind, and then after they heard it, now let's just uh, create an image here. They went to church, they heard it, And then when church was over, they went home. And between that moment and the next Sunday, all right, every day, they're searching the Scriptures to find out whether or not what they heard is true or a lie. They searched the Scriptures daily. And it doesn't say that the head of the synagogue did this. It says the whole bunch of them did it. So it's possible some of them got together in groups. Say, hey, come over, you know, let's 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 check the scrolls. You know, and let's let's find out what this guy Paul was saying about what Ezekiel prophesied, you know, or whatever. They searched the scriptures daily. Now in Acts chapter twenty. Acts chapter twenty, verse thirty-two. Paul is ministering to the Ephesian the the leaders from the church of Ephesus. And he says, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I commend you to God and to the word of His grace. What is the word of His grace? Well, you have it in your hands. We would call it the Bible. See, he didn't... 
Back then, they didn't have the Bible the way we have it. It was, you know, put together in, like I said, the King James, about 500 years old. But what he's saying is, you know, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, to, to what you do have. What I've been teaching you, but what you do have. You know, you've got the, the Old Testament, the Law, the Prophets, and so forth. It'll build you up. And it'll bring into full manifestation in your life that which is a part of your inheritance as a believer. Now, now, I'm really tempted to go off on different directions here, but uh, I won't. <laughs> um, in Psalm 119, verse 130, it says, The entrance of thy words giveth light, bringeth light, soweth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. In other words, and that word simple, it just means those who are not learned, those who have not yet been educated of these things. So he says, the entrance of your word. The entrance of your word. Meaning, the word is there. Just like right now, you have it with you. Your, your Bible. You have it. But it's the entrance of it inside which shines the light on whatever's in there that needs to be dealt with and it gives understanding to the simple. So in other words, the Word comes in. And when it comes in, it brings its, its own light. And it begins to illuminate the things in me that I thought meant this, or I thought I could do, or I thought I wasn't supposed to, or whatever. But the Word illuminates this and it begins to give me the understanding so that I go from being the simple person or the unlearned person to becoming that perfect person mentioned over there in 2 Timothy chapter 3. That fully mature believer. Well then, in Isaiah 28, we don't have to turn there, but in Isaiah chapter 28, it talk, God is prophesying, and, uh, and let me paraphrase. He says, who am I going to be able to teach correct doctrine? To, I mean, to whom can I do this? And he says, well, in the process of the teaching, it must be line upon line and precept upon precept. And he continues there in Isaiah 28, and he says, this is how... I teach, but there are those who are not going to receive it. They're not going to grasp this process. And he, is, he does talk about tongues over there, praying in tongues, but the teaching is line upon line, precept upon precept. So then, if I am studying to show myself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, I am rightly, precept upon precept, line upon line, the word of truth. You follow that? I'm leaving things in context. I'm not taking a verse and saying, oh, it means this. When if I leave it in context, I realize, oh, no, it doesn't mean that. Now look over in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
And look here, verse 1. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Now do you realize, everything we have read so far has been in that book you hold for 500 years. Do you understand that? 500 years. Okay, how many of you in here are 500 years old? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Got a couple of wires in the room. There is a verse in here about that. Now, in other words, it's been around before you showed up. Before your daddy showed up, before grandpa showed up, before great grandpa showed up. It goes back, alright? It's been around. Now when he says in here, the things that you've heard me teach, okay, what did he teach? What did the Apostle Paul teach? Everything we've read so far. All of it. Well, y'all, but you read some things from the, the book of James. That's, that's not the Apostle Paul, no. But if you study to show yourself approved, you're going to realize that when Paul met with the Apostles and they all talked about what they were teaching, they realized we're all teaching the same thing. So everything that we have read to this point, whether from James or Peter or Paul or whoever, everything we've read to this point is something that Paul taught. And he taught it to Timothy, and he said, The same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. So then, 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul, he tells Timothy, I'm, I'm about to die. He knew they were going to execute him. And he knew his time was, had come. So he told Timothy, look, all these things that I have taught that you've heard me teach among many witnesses. He said, you take it and you teach. Now notice he says you teach, you commit it, you extend it to you know faithful men, and then they will be able to teach. So that when you're gone, they're teaching the same thing. And if they're going to be te- if you're going to be teaching what I've taught you, then you're going to be teaching them this about committing it to faithful men so they can teach others. So it's supposed to be this downline process. Do you understand? Not confusing. Okay. We've had this Bible for 500 years. 500 years. There is not one building in this nation, the United States of America, That's 500 years old. The Bible is older than every structure in this. Now, granted, some people might say, well, yeah, but what about the mounds that the Cherokees built or whatever? Come on, you know what I'm talking about. There's not one structure in this nation that's 500 years old. It's not there. None of them. The Bible is older than everything we've built in this nation. Everything. 
And we've had this book. The body of Christ has had this book. Even if you had the version that the, where the word son was spelled S-O-N-N-E instead of the word, instead of S-O-N. I mean, you still had it in your hands as Christians, as preachers, as teachers. We still had it. So here we are roughly 500 years later. And what I'm getting ready to share with you, I'm not making any of this up. Some of these things I've referenced before, but they fit here in this message. I'm not making any of this up. It's all real. In the body of Christ today, there is a teaching which states that a demon is assigned to every bag of Halloween candy. And that if you buy a bag of Halloween candy and take it home, you are bringing demons into your home. So if you buy ten bags of Halloween candy, you just brought ten demons into your home. Now, let's think. You Do your own research on this. You'll find what I found. Roughly six hundred million pounds of Halloween candy are sold per year. Six hundred million pounds. Now, if we buy bags of Halloween candy that weigh three pounds apiece, that's two hundred million bags. And if one demon is assigned per bag, that's two hundred million demons. That's this year. Okay, now, what happened to the demons last year? In other words, when the candy is gone, when the, when the kids come around, you know, dressed like Yoda and whoever else, and, and we're giving away all the candy, and all the candy is gone, and the bags are empty, well, maybe we don't give it away, maybe we just eat it, you know. But one way or the other, the candy's gone, and the bags are empty. Okay, what does the demon do? It's like, I mean, seriously, what does the demon do at that point? Does the demon say, well, candy's gone, I can't hang around, better go back to headquarters? Or does the demon stay? Now, I don't know about you, but if I were a demon, I would say, I don't care if the candy's gone or not, I'm staying around, you brought me here. You follow me? I Well, that was last year, so that means the demons from last year, what, are still hanging around. What about the year before? Well, if the demons from last year are hanging around, that means they had to get another 200 million demons for the 200 million bags of this year. So now we're at 400 million demons. But if we're talking 200 million... Okay, let's just simplify it. Let's just say only 100 million demons. 100 million demons times how many years have Halloween candy has Halloween candy been sold? So how many billions of demons do we have just in this country? You see... You don't even have to be a Bible scholar to figure out how stupid that one is. And what makes it worse is when you have publications like Charisma that promote this stuff. Yeah. You know, it's so stupid. Why would you publicize something like this? And, and I mean, it's bad enough to publicize it, but it's, it's even worse to tell who teaches it. Because you've got... People, 
Christians who are going to read that and think, oh my God, there's demons in the house. Get the candy out. Get the candy out. And they start following that person. Then you're going to have people do what? Go to church and tell people, you can't be buying that candy. Or if they walk into someone's house and they see bags of Halloween candy, it's like, oh my God, what are you doing? you got demons. Go in the name of Jesus. Go. You think I'm being stupid. I'm not. I'm telling you, this is how it works in the body of Christ. There is a teaching that, that tells people this. Trust me. Trust me. Sooner or later, you're going to run out of demons. They're going to have to call in to reinforce us from China and Russia and Venezuela, Canada, and every, you know, well, we're running out. Come on, boys. We need help over here. Halloween's coming up. Got more candy. It's just goofy. Flat out, plain, dumb, goofy. You can buy all the candy you want. You won't even get cavities unless you keep eating it. Don't brush your teeth. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can eat it. You know, don't pray over it. In the name of Jesus, no cavities. In the name of no. Don't get weird. That's like the one lady that went out to dinner one night, and she was, let's just say, rather girthy, if you know what I'm talking about. And she sat at the dinner table in the restaurant and tried to cast out all the calories and the fat demons and everything else. I mean, yeah, it doesn't work. And the preacher that was with her, he and his wife looking at this, and he, he said, publicly, he said, somebody should have told that woman it's not working. <laughs> all right, now, now here's another one. If a Christian has a heart transplant, and the donor was not a Christian, will that Christian recipient have to get born again, again? Seriously. I'm not making this up. You guys look at me. Come on, Brother Martin. Ain't nobody says that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, let me add to that. What if it's an artificial heart? Can they even be born again? I mean, there's no artificial spirit. Is that not stupid? See, in John chapter 3, look at this. Turn over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And just look what Jesus says, talking to Nicodemus. Just pick it up in verse 3. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again." Do you understand your physical lub dub lub dub lub dub heart in your chest is not what gets born again? Do you understand that? It is your spirit. And yet, you have people thinking, you know, if you're a Christian, you get a heart transplant, you have to get born again again? Well, I don't know. Well, you, you, you better repent just to be sure. I mean, you don't want to be standing before God and miss out because you had a heart transplant. That is so goofy. But it's there. Here's, here's another one. God creates little spirits in heaven and sends them to earth to be born. 
Yeah. The, the, the thing is this. that the, In fact, hear me now. There are people who will tell you, I had a vision. And I saw this. Or I had a dream. Or I was caught up into heaven. And I saw this happening before me. And they're going to tell you, and I've read this, I've heard this, that they're little, little bitty, like, demons. Not demons, good glory. Little bitty spirits. Little bitty spirits. Little bitty spirits. You know? You know, like those stupid, foolish paintings you have uh, that you see, like these little bitty naked baby angels flying around, and they got their little harps and all this other. That's, that's not true! None of those paintings are true. And people pay millions of dollars for them. Dumb. Anyway. And they say, oh, we saw these little baby spirits. And that God sends them down, you know, into the, the wombs of the women so they can be born. And in one case, this one lady, uh, there was this book out there to where she said, oh, and I saw this happening and how that the little spirits, that God let them look down upon the earth and these little spirits, they looked at all the women and they got to pick which woman they wanted for their mother. And as this, there was a lady telling me about this, how that she had read that book and the tears began to, to come down her cheek and she looked at her daughter and said, it just, it touches me so much that my daughter chose me to be her mother. And Kathy was with me and I'm sitting there and it's like, you know, choose your battles, right? All right, choose your battles. We were at dinner with this, this lady. I didn't want to get a plate full of food. You know what I mean? A face full of... <laughs> okay, now, that's not true. That is not... God did not make you before you came down here. He worked with you after you were conceived in the womb. Now, listen. Number one, God is not going to bless immorality with a baby. He didn't have a little spirit appear and he looked down and he says, Ooh, there, there's Bobby and Susie in the back seat. Well, tell you what, why don't you go down there and just, I'm going to put you in her womb. They're not even married. God's, and then, then what makes it worse? Christians who, they have these baby showers. And they talk about, oh, God is, is so good. And they want to pat the prego mama's tummy. Oh, look, oh, I can feel him kick. Oh, what a blessing. Oh, God is just so good. Now, I'm not opposed to helping somebody. But when you start identifying that illegitimate pregnancy as being a gift from God, you're screwed up in your theology and you need to have your mouth taped. You're a false prophet. There is nothing in the Word of God which even hints at such a thing. God does not bless sin. Get it straight. But along with that, God is not going to send a spirit from heaven to a family on earth that will never expose that person to the gospel resulting in that person spending eternity in hell. Can you imagine God said, all right, now listen. I'm going to send you down to that family right there. They live, you know, there in uh, Saudi Arabia. And um, you're going to be born. 
But you're never going to hear about me or Jesus. And uh, you're going to grow old. You'll die when you're 85. And then you're going to hell forever. Now, if you were that spirit in heaven, don't you think you'd protest? Excuse me, God, but I don't think so. Send him over here. (laughs) That's stupid. Why send somebody from eternal glory to earth so they could be separated from you forever? That's dumb. Dumb. Number three, God is not going to send a spirit into the womb of a woman so that woman can conspire with a medical staff to murder the child before it's born. It's not going to happen. God's not going to say, look, I'm going to send you down there, and once you're in, three months later, you're going to experience the most excruciating pain you have ever could ever possibly experience, and you're going to die. You'll be back up. Or, or, I'm going to send you down there, and right in the middle of when you're being born, in the ninth month, There's a doctor that's going to cut the back of your skull out and suck your brains out of your head and kill you. And then you're going to come back up here with me. You really think that is what God does? And if I'm that little spirit, I'm going to say, with all all due respect, creator of the universe, I'm not doing it. I mean, I know you can make me, but no. Why? Why would you do that to me? Why would you send me down there so I can die and never be a witness for you on earth? Why? Number four, God commissioned humanity to be fruitful and multiply. He is not repeating what he did in Genesis 1 and 2. He's not doing it. The whole process of creating human life is now our responsibility. Remember what God said? Make man in our image and likeness. Let them be, they're going to be like us. We have the ability to create life. Now, a lot of Christians are going to argue with that. But what's in the Word? Are you, are you studying anything? God said, you be fruitful and multiply. I'm finished creating people. It's on you now. I commend the authority for this over to you. And so from then on, humans have had the responsibility. The male has half the responsibility. The female has the other half of the responsibility. And when both halves meet, guess what? Babies. People. God is not making more people. Now, number number five in this one. All Now, get this. All humans born of a human male. Jesus was the exception, okay? All humans born of a human male are born with a sin nature and spiritual death, needing to be born again. If God sent that spirit from heaven into the mother's womb, it means the spirits in heaven are spiritually dead with a sin nature. That is ridiculous beyond ridiculous. I mean, this point alone 
should prove beyond any question God's not doing that. There aren't a little bunch of baby spirits, you know, flippy flapping around up in heaven. They get sent down every now and then, but no. Since when does God create spirits with a sin nature and spiritual death? Since there is no sin nature and there is no spiritual death in His presence in heaven, where does He get it? And if all these little spirits are lined up and they've got a sin nature, how'd they get it? See, this is nuts. Absolutely nuts. But you've got people today who preach these things, who teach these things. Well, let's move on to the next one. Look in First Peter chapter 3. First Peter chapter 3. Now, do you remember what we read earlier? All these things about the Word, the engrafted Word, save your souls, study to show yourself approved, all Scripture, etc., etc. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. Now, there is a teaching that says, where it says, you know, it talks about Jesus in verse 18, and that he went and preached to the spirits, in prison, and then it identifies spirits in prison connected with those who died during the flood. Did you see the progression here in these facts? All right. There is a teaching that says, Jesus went into Hades, hell, and preached to the spirits in prison that died during the flood. And they all got born again and were released to go to heaven. Uh, yeah, some of you look like, do what now? Yeah, yeah. That is that is a teaching that's out there. Okay, look in Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2, and look at verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved, reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, Look here, a preacher of righteousness bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. What does that mean? Okay, from the moment that God said, Noah, build an ark, flood's coming. From that moment to the moment that the door of the ark was shut, it was roughly 100 years. You understand that? Noah was a preacher of righteousness for 100 years. He was building a structure. Have you ever been down to the ark encounter in, in, in Kentucky? It is, it is staggering how big this is. He built something that big. As he's building it, people are wondering, what are you doing? Well, I'm building the ark. Why are you doing that? He was a preacher of righteousness. You understand what I'm saying? Word would have spread. Now, to use today's vernacular, that would have been a vacation destination. Kids, we're going to go see the crazy fool that's building a boat that's never going to float. And so, yeah, you don't think... Think about this. Wow, look at it. It's bigger than what it was last year. Well, it's bigger than what it was ten years ago. Wow, look at this. He just keeps building and building. He really believes this stuff. And the whole time, he's saying, I'm telling you the reason I'm doing this. God told me the wickedness, the sin. 
It's, it's bringing about destruction. There's going to be a flood. And if you don't repent, do you understand? If there had been people who had repented at his preaching, they would have been on the ark. Do you understand that? Nobody believed him. Nobody. All the people who did believe died before the ark was floating, before the flood. Nobody believed him. For 100 years, he is a preacher of righteousness. And I don't know what he preached before then. In other words, I'm focusing just on the ark leading to the flood. He was a preacher of righteousness. People rejected the message. And so therefore, Jesus, is. I know what it says in here, but what it doesn't say is that they, those people, the spirits in prison, it does not say they accepted what Jesus said and they were brought up out of the pit and taken to heaven. It doesn't say that. It just says he, he went there and he preached. He said, well, I don't get it. Listen to this. Hebrews 9.27, As it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You don't get a second chance. Once your eyes close for the last time on this planet, you're done for. That's it. And if you die this afternoon in some way, shape, or form, and you're not ready to face Jesus, you're going to hell. Well, that's pretty harsh. That's the Bible. God made a way for you. And that way is named Jesus Christ. And if you put your faith in Him, you know there's sin in your life. You know this. You know it. And if you make it right between you and Him, He gives you that spiritual life. They rejected the message of Noah. Whatever Jesus preached, one of the things He could have preached was, you should have listened to Noah. I am the one He preached about. And so therefore, yeah, those people, they did not... Hey, listen, God doesn't show favoritism. What about the people that, you know, before Noah started preaching? What about the people after the flood? I mean, they got a second choice. They got a second chance. They got a second opportunity. Why not me? It didn't even make sense. How many of you heard, uh, you know, people that were saying that the, uh, the vaccine for COVID-19 was the mark of the beast? There are some people... Um, that said that the very the mask mandates mark of the beast. Now those are things that are being taught in the body of Christ. Well, I don't know any. Those are things that that have been taught. Okay, now are those things the mark of the beast? Were they ever the mark of the beast? Not according to Revelation 13. No. Not according to Revelation 13. And. It's possible some of you in here, you know someone who believes that. But it's not according to Revelation 13. It's not according to the word we've had for 500 years. It's not. There are people that, um, here's another teaching. The earth and the universe are billions of years old. Not according to Genesis chapter 1. Not according, listen to me, not according to Genesis chapter 1. But what happens is you have the exaltation 
of Genesis 3 fallen world science over the eternal truth of God's Word that will never change. Study to show yourself approved. Well, if you do that, you're going to find out the earth and universe are not billions of years old. I don't mean to be insulting, but... (laughs) The reason that I am impassioned about this is because at one time I believed things that were wrong. But I studied to show myself approved. And I'm still learning. And I know how damaging this kind of stuff can be. Um, There are some people that will tell you that if you don't go to church on Saturday, they teach us, uh, you need Jesus, Holy Spirit. No. Then they say you have to go to church on Saturday because Saturday is the Sabbath. And if you go to church any other day but Saturday, then you're violating the Sabbath and you're going to hell. That's not true, not according to the Word of God, where it talks about how that, you know, let no man judge you by any holy days or the Sabbath. And see, anybody who teaches that, they don't know what the Sabbath is. When you study to show yourself approved, you realize that the Old Testament Sabbath was a type and shadow of the New Testament Sabbath, which is Jesus Christ and the born-again life that He gives. There are people that teach that Noah's flood was local. It was not worldwide. Not according to Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 8. It was global. There are people that teach. Christians don't need to repent when they sin. And there's nothing in the Bible that says Christians should repent. Not according to Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 25, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through chapter 2, verse 15, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 10, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 through 26, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 12, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, and Revelation chapters 2 and 3. In every one of those passages, repent, repentance, repented, whatever, it's in there. Every one of those. And yet the other is being taught. Now listen to me. After 500 years of having this book, the Bible, God's Word in print, and having the Holy Spirit who will teach us all things and lead us, guide us into all truth, After 500 years, this foolishness exists. Absolute, pure stupidity. And I know that some people might take offense. Well, if you're taking offense, why don't you study to show yourself approved? Do you not realize when these things are being taught, okay, the Apostle Paul, I mean in Scripture, we can read, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Everything I've shared with you, and I could stand up here and go another hour on this and that and the other that's wrong. But I restrain myself and what I put in the notes. There's so much stuff that's out there. It's all leaven. And once that leaven gets into your life, it begins to distort your perception of truth. And it sets you up to accept things that are not true, but are wrapped in the cloak of Scripture. It's like people rip pages out of the Bible 
and wrap deception in it and present it to you. But the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. That's what we opened with. Look in 2 Peter chapter 3. Verse 15. An account of the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, unto their own description, destruction. See that? He doesn't, he's not saying you can't understand it. What he's saying is, it takes some diligence, it takes studying to understand these things. And what he's, what he's presenting here is the image that you've got Christians out there who are unlearned and unstable. And they argue about these things. And they're reinterpreting, misinterpreting, not just what he wrote, but also the other scriptures. So in other words, you've got people that are calling themselves they present themselves as knowing what they're talking about. And some of the things they'll tell you, yeah, it's right. But the thing is, if you're not doing what we, what we looked at at the beginning of this message and getting into the Word, the engrafted Word, studying to show yourself approved, you know, desiring the sincere milk of the Word, on and on it goes. If you're not doing that, if you aren't doing it, if you as an individual are not doing that, you can't live on what I believe. You've got to receive it in you. I'm just here presenting information, hoping that you're going to grab it and run with it. But I'm telling you right now, there are some people, <laughs> there are some people who call this their home church. They're not here today. But an all-inclusive statement about those who refer to this as, well, that's my church. Here, especially here, but maybe online as well, but especially here, I've heard some of you say, some things that could be included in what I've shared today. And I'm thinking, good glory to God in heaven, after all these years, where in the world are you getting this? Because you sure aren't getting it from this pulpit. What is wrong with you? After everything I've shared over the years, after everything that others have stood here and taught, and you still are buying into some of this foolishness? Why? Why are you not doing what we read at the beginning? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Man shall not preach, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Man shall not teach, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Man shall not believe, but everything that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And yet there are people who are buying into all this stupidity. If you don't believe me, just go on Facebook. And read what some of your good, upstanding, truly believing in God Christian friends are posting. It's stupid. And I'm not trying to be mean or cruel to people, but well, you think God's going to say, well, now, you, you just don't understand, you poor little thing. God is probably going to look at you and call you stupid. Hey, if, Paul, if God approved the use of the word dung by the Apostle Paul, hey, in the Old Testament it talks about they that pisseth on the wall. Okay? This all came from God. 
In another place, it talks about, in the Old Testament, you know, you people are going to eat your own dung and drink your own piss. Now that's in Scripture. Get mad at me if you want. That's in the Word of God. So for me to stand here and say believing that stuff is stupid, that's mild compared to other things. It is stupid. Here's what makes it stupid. This has been around for 500 years. And so is the Holy Spirit. Look in, look in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. See, you can say, I believe this and believe that and believe the other, and it's all right. Then you start buying into some of these other things. You are now unstable. You're wavering. You're unstable. And it's impacting your walk of life. (laughs) In James, you don't have to, we're not going to read all this, but in James chapter 3, it talks about that the tongue has the ability to alter the course of a person's life. To alter the course of the church. You can read about it later on. And it says, and I'm paraphrasing, if the tongue is not controlled, then it's going to speak things that lead people astray. And those who stand in a position of teaching they are going to be judged more harshly than the people not in the position of doing the teaching. So people that are sharing all these foolish doctrines that I shared this morning, they're going to be standing before God in harsher judgment. You should not open your mouth and talk about anything as long as you are unlearned and ignorant. Look in 1 Corinthians. We'll close with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now here's what's going to happen. No, 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 no. no. Let me correct that. Here's what could happen. Have people hear this message. And here's some of the things that I share. For the thing, the, the one thing about the God creates the spirits in heaven and sends them down to be babies. And they hear what I say and they say, oh, no, no, no. He he didn't know what he's talking about. You know, I watched on Christian television when so-and-so shared the vision that they had. I said, okay, well, where's show me this in Scripture. Show me where God, every human being born, originated with a spirit up in heaven that God said, show me. Show me in Scripture something that helps me understand that God took a little spirit and sent it down to become Adolf Hitler. Come on! This is crazy! But see, you're gonna have, you'd have people out there, they would say, no, Brother Martin, he didn't know what he's talking about. Alright, well, let's go back to the beginning. All the scriptures that talk about the Word, the Word, the Word. Get it in you, get it in you, study, etc. If these things be in you and abound, you shall never fall. Well, they're not in you. If you're buying into this, but now look here, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, spiritually mature, let him acknowledge that the things I write unto you are the commandments of God. But, if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Those are God's words. 
Now let me paraphrase it. I'll give you the modern James Martin version. (laughs) If somebody is having a conversation with you and what they're speaking is truth, and they are going to acknowledge that what I have said, Paul, what I have written, is truth. But if anybody who is speaking from the pulpit, in the classroom, at the dinner table, is refuting what I have said, what I have written, what I have taught, then that person is ignorant. And if they are going to reject truth, to hold on to the foolishness, let them be ignorant. Do you know what he's saying right here? What he's saying is this. If they're not going to get into the Word and search the Scriptures to see if these things be so, then you're not going to convince them with an argument. Leave them alone. Let them remain ignorant, stupid, unlearned, dumb, uneducated, foolish. I mean, the definition here goes on and on. So what I'm doing here today is I'm trying to help you guys and I'm trying to protect you. If you believe any of what I've shared, the the foolishness, man, get it out of you. I don't care who told you. Well, it's grandma, it's grandpa, it's mom, it's dad. It's No, I don't care. But it's my pastor, the church I used to go to in 40 years. Get it out of you. Because it's wrong. It's not doing you any good. What it's actually doing is hindering your progress in God. And, and this this morning was just a sampling. You're gonna, you, you have heard things over the years. You're probably going to hear more as time goes on. How do we know that? Because Jesus said false prophets were going to arise. And there were, they are amongst us in the body of Christ even now. If you do not search the Scriptures, study to show yourself approved, acknowledging all Scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept, if you aren't going to do this, on your own. Don't rely simply on me Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, or whoever else ministers here. You have to do it on your own. This is on you. And I will not stand accountable before God for your failure to get into the Word. I will only be accountable for my own failure. This is serious. After 500 years, and this kind of stuff is going on, It should not be going on. But it is. Does that say anything about the state of the body of Christ today? It is a seriously sad condition. I know there's greatness in the body of Christ. But generally speaking, the condition is pathetic. Because after 500 years of the Word in print and access to the Holy Spirit... We should be way beyond all that stuff. Way beyond it. So guys, I'm leaving this with you. And now it's on me too now. We have got to stay in the Word. Individually. The preaching and the teaching, man, it's great. Receive it. Accept it. But we've got to get into the Word. And don't leave the Holy Spirit out. Pray in the Spirit. We have to be firmly established on the divine promises And have those things abounding in us so that we never fall. Praise God.